and so on, because it's all part of the big empire-building plan to the global empire until we're all under one singular system worldwide under the United Nations. And we're hearing the squeaks now come out of politicians at the top, including Mr. Brown of Britain, as he talks about the, the need the need for some sort of global government system. Well, it's already there, isn't it? It's already there. And, and he also mentions the facts when he's in little speeches in India that we have to give up our sovereignty for peace. I'll be back with more of this after the following messages. Work. 
they work in centuries. And right after World War One, the same League of Nations had a lot of front people and members privately publish books under their own names, all promoting the same agenda of massive population reduction because they said that the World War hadn't killed enough people off. And that was pushed in dozens and dozens of books all over Europe, mainly though in Britain. And to counter that, uh, there were local people, even clergy, were taking the same facts that they were given and contradicting them and pointing out the obvious, and that was that since so many of the elites were having these books published and some of them were writing them themselves, how come the elite who had the biggest families of all wouldn't volunteer to cut back on their uh, their own habits, put it that way? But you see, the elite believe they have a right. This is their world, and we are the children. And uh, since most of the children they claim will never grow up, we don't really have any rights. We're too base. We haven't evolved enough. And these people at the top truly believe in evolution. It's very Hinduistic in its understanding of the world. Uh, they do believe in evolution, which is, remember, a religion. Evolution is a natural religion. It's a belief system. And simply because, as Mr. Russell himself, who was one of them, pushed it, he also said that a truth he said because something is repeated over and over and many people come to believe it doesn't mean it's true. And that's how we get most of our ideas and opinions is by repetition. And today it's by repetition by experts. doesn't mean it's true. It's a belief system. And even Darwin himself admitted that to try and figure out how the eye of an insect was even constructed through evolution was an impossible task. It staggered him too, as it would stagger anybody. But an evolution theory, and they have us all trained to believe in it. And they also believe in evolution, there's some big plan behind it all, some hidden plan, some hidden force. And that's where the whole world consciousness comes into play, where we're all part of this big world consciousness, and, and uh, we're, we're all going together on a certain route, some manifest destiny that must work itself out. And nothing is further from the truth because, you see, the future is planned by the elite and we don't even take part in it. Most folk definitely, it's not the world consciousness, it's the world unconsciousness. Most folk don't even know it's happening. They just live through it and accept everything as it is. Now, part of the old idea to bring the population down was... It wasn't original. It was an old technique used thousands of years ago uh, that is simply introduced again, reintroduced. And if you want people to cut down on offspring, uh, what you have to do is promote the very thing that causes offspring. It had been done in ancient times, and it even trained people to sacrifice their firstborn at one point, not just in the Middle East, but in Greece and other, other uh, Grecian islands. And that became the norm too. And they could also promote promiscuity to ensure that bonding wouldn't happen because you need, regardless, in a natural environment, you need more than one person to bring up a child. It's that simple. We're not living in a natural environment anymore. We're in an unnatural environment and we're dependent upon the system, in fact, for everything. 
that's male or female, but all dependent on the system. In fact, all the alternatives to the system, all the loopholes have been closed over the last mainly 50 years to be independent. And so they promoted promiscuity again. Uh, we had the fallout from promiscuity, which was unwanted children. They came across with what they really wanted, and they got that dealt with, uh, not just orphanages. And people really thought they had won battles over it, and it was nothing to do with the ones at the top caring about women or men or children. It was about reducing the population. That's what it was all about. And who would have thought they would have gone even further? You see, that's why they created a youth culture. A youth culture that's given by a culture industry based in Hollywood, as it was decided in the 1960s it would be, when they debated whether Hollywood or London, England, in the film studios, should promote the new world culture. It was held by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, and they brought over their cousins from the U.S., the Council on Foreign Relations, and debated this for about two or three weeks, and published it in the newspapers that Hollywood would be given the, the job of creating the world culture, which is to be a youth-based culture. Meanwhile, the Cold War was going on and all that but around that time, and people were thinking that the left-wing groups, all these left, radical left-wing groups, uh, were the cause of all the problems, and it's now admitted to that the CIA funded the most extreme left-wing groups there were, and the right-wing groups, they funded all sides of everything, and led them too, gave the leaders to us, to promote all of their agenda. And what they had to do was really promote promiscuity, the big global agenda. Nothing national about it, this was global. Although it was mainly the West that was involved initially. Because as Plato said, and they all read Plato in the Republic, all of the big boys have read Plato, they're always quoting Plato, that the public mimic what they see from Hollywood. They copy the fashion on stage, as Plato said. They, they copy the scenes and the drama and they enact them in their own lives, including the affairs and everything else. And they sing the songs, they mimic the songs which they hear too. There's so much so that the youth were more susceptible to falling for the spells cast by singers. You wanted all musicians to be licensed back then because of the power they had. All of that knowledge has been reused again with the big entertainment industry to create a youth culture because they had to separate the generations and everyone but everyone has to be young. doesn't matter how, how old you really are, you must be young. Every ad on television has young, smiling faces. They use 18 or even 15-year-olds to put anti-wrinkle cream on telling you this is how you're going to look and people fall for this kind of stuff. But the message really is if you're older, you're, you're just useless. You're not part of the equation. You have not to be listened to. You have nothing to say. And that's worked so, so well. Look at the amounts of people today running off to have their bodies altered and their faces altered because they're terrified. Terrified is a word of getting older. Something that was cherished in many, many countries, in all countries at one time, those who were older and wiser had a lot of respect because they had something in wisdom to pass on. But 
not now, is the youth-oriented culture. So much so, they're pushing younger and younger sex exactly along the lines that Lord Bertrand Russell advocated with his experimental schools because he said if they can get them actually uh, having sex even or thinking about sex before puberty, uh, then once again the the whole idea of bonding would become very, very difficult. They wouldn't have to bond. It would be irrelevant. That's happened. That phase is over with pretty well. Which leads me on to the great coincidences that happen as we evolve, as they say, at the top. The great coincidences. Now, supposing their own religion was true, this evolution, for some major change to happen should literally take at least thousands, if not millions of years, regarding the human condition physically. But it's not so, is it? It's not so. Since the 1950s, with all this great health care and so on, we're getting sicker and sicker. And we have much more worse side effects than that. We have autism going sky high. We have the official IQ being lowered because we're getting dumber. That doesn't happen by chance. I'll be, more, be back with more about this after the following messages. Well, 
early menstruation is a known risk factor for breast cancer. No one knows what earlier breast development means for the future of girls' health. We're not backing up all events in puberty, says Sandra Strangrabber, biologist and visiting scholar at Ithaca College. We're backing up the starting point. She has examined the research of female puberty and compiled a summary in an August 2007 report called The Falling Age of Puberty in U.S. Girls. The report was financed by the Breast Cancer Fund, an advocacy group interested in exploring environmental causes of that disease. Earlier breast development is now so typical that the Lawson-Wilkins Pediatric Endocrine Society urged changing the definition of normal development. Until 10 years ago, breast development at age 8 was considered an abnormal event that should be investigated by an endocrinologist. In a landmark study in the April 1997 journal, Pediatrics, written by Marcia Herman Giddens, adjunct professor at the School of Public Health, at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, found that among 17,000 girls in North Carolina, almost half of African Americans and 15% of whites had begun breast development by age 8. Two years later, the society suggested changing what is considered medically normal. The new 8, the medically suggested definition for abnormally early breast development, as the society says, 7 for white girls, and six for African-American girls. It goes on to say, through the ages, puberty involves three stages, breast development, pubic hair growth, and finally menstruation, because the final event is typically the most memorable for women, has been the one most scientifically documented in studies based on self-reported memories. The first hundred years that medical records were kept on the age of onset of menstruation saw continuous drops. Between about 1850 and 1950 in Europe, the average age of a girl's first period dropped from about 17 to, to about 13. It says that the U.S. doesn't have good data earlier than the 20th century, though trends were probably similar, says Strangrabber, who prepared the 2007 report after examining hundreds of studies on potential dietary, lifestyle, and environmental causes of early puberty. Much of that decline probably, I like the words probably, has to do with better nutrition and public health improvements that reduce the spread of infectious diseases. Better diet, closed sewer systems, deep burial of the dead, Steingraber says, but by the beginning of the 20th century, those things were in place. Adequate food and good health signal the brain that it's safe to reproduce according to theories of evolutionary biology. Here we are again, see the Tucker religion right in there as they give you uh, a possible guess, which is just a theory. We're healthier and we weigh more, says Dr. Francine Kaufman, head of the Center for Diabetes and Endocrinology at Children's Hospital. In some ways, puberty is a luxury. Now, it's not really true they don't have records on this stuff because there's records going back for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, mainly to do with royalty and nobility and so on in pretty well every country. And they have multiple records and all this kind of stuff. Just to put that straight and to try and defeat their, their theory. Now, I think, I think the music's trying to cut in here, so I'll be back after the following messages.
contact with Cutting Through the Matrix and Cutting Through the Web of Confusion uh, that some would have us believe in when it comes to topics such as this because there's nothing really confusing about it if you do your homework. But to continue, before I take the callers, to continue with uh, this particular article, the author goes on to say, adequate food and good health signals the brain that it's safe to reproduce according to theories of evolutionary biology. We're healthier and we weigh more. This is Dr. Francine Kaufman, head of the Center for Diabetes and Endocrinology at Children's Hospital. In some ways, puberty is a luxury. And the brain, with the brain picking up these signals, the hormonal parade can begin, first with the release from the hypothalamus of gonadotrophin, a releasing hormone, which sends other hormones from the pituitary gland through the bloodstream to the ovaries. The ovaries gear up for production of a form of estrogen called estradiol, which initiates breast, breast development, the first step in puberty. And by the way, the artificial forms, synthetic forms of that uh, in waters and everything now. And uh, before I go on to the next part, I should mention that Charles Galton Darwin, in the next million years, when he was talking about the vast re- uh, culling of the population he was talking about, he did say that part of that would be to target the hormonal development of male and female. To continue, a second signaling pathway stimulates the adrenal gland to begin androgen production, which results in pubic hair. The final stage of puberty is the beginning of monthly periods, but the first two events are happening significantly earlier in the lives of today's girls than they did in the lives of their mothers and grandmothers. The age of first menstruation has dropped too at a rate of about one month per decade, one month per decade for the last 30 years. And when did the mass inoculations really hype up, start up? And according to a January 2003 study in pediatrics today, the U.S. average for first period is 12.5 for white girls, 12.6 for black girls, and 12.09 for Latinas. The gap between the first appearance of breast buds and menstruation grew wider by as much as a year and a half between 1960s and 1990s, according to research published in the October 2006 journal Current Opinion, obstetrics and gynecology. The time from best buds to bleeding, according to Herman Giddens, is now close to three years. In short, that finely tuned biological process may have reached a tipping point. Since the 1960s, Herman Giddens says, the decline of the age of maturity has crossed the line from positive reasons, such as better diet to negative ones, such as eating too much, exercising too little, and the vast unknowns of chemical pollution. The lack of adequate explanation has some experts worried. Again, the experts, you know, that big group over our heads, the faceless ones. Over the course of a few decades, the childhood, childhoods of U.S. girls has been significantly shortened, Steingraber says. Redefining the average, the new average age of puberty, some fear may be like the new average weight, typical but terrible. My fear, Herman Giddens says, is that medical groups could take the data and say, this is normal. We don't have to worry about it. My feeling is that it is not normal. It's a response to an abnormal environment. And it certainly is. It's a tremendous response to an abnormal environment, but we're also being tampered with incredibly since we're born through the inoculations, which I am certain are targeting the male and the female sex organs. 
I'm pretty well positive about that. Enough has been written about it in the past by uh, members of the elite. And when you see things happening after the particular people uh, wrote about it, very powerful people who spoke on the behalf of their own kind at the top, who don't simply make wish lists, they actually put it into action, uh, then you can pretty well, like a court would come to this conclusion, you'd base it on the preponderance of evidence. And we have lots of it today. Lots of it today. Now, I think there's a caller, Keith from Florida. Are you there, Keith? Uh, hi, Alan. I'm here. Yes. Hi. Uh, wow, what a cruel uh, description of uh, what these children have to face. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, hey, a uh, couple of questions. I mean, so many questions, so little time, as always. But um, I'm, I'm sort of hung up on a couple of words, and I think that you might be able to help me out here philosophically, you might say. Whenever I hear the word republic, mm-hmm. I always think of aristocracy. And when I hear the word democracy, I always associate that with sort of the common people. And if, correct me if I'm wrong, but as I remember uh, what I read about Plato and Socrates, that Plato really mischaracterized the, the trial and death of Socrates and really sort of pinned it frame the, the people or the lower classes with that to give democracy a bad name. Am I on the right track here? It's, it's yes and no. It's yes and no. Uh, uh, whatever terms they give the ordinary people down below don't really matter because we've right. never had democracy. And it's never likely we would ever be. See, what they all knew back in Plato's day is that uh, if you gave the plebeians, as they called them, the plebeian vote, Mm-hmm. All you had to do was to advertise and promise them uh, things during the election, and they, they would vote for the ones that, gave, that promised them personally something for free. I see. And therefore, the, the, the masses of the public could always be counted on to vote the way that the elite wanted them to vote. Oh, I, I see. So that was, a, that was a little con game. Right. And, and democracy had been tried long before, remember, not just in Greece, but even in ancient China. Mm. So they had uh, lots of records on democracy and fascism. They had fascism in China, too. They had all different kinds, and socialism, even, uh, and before they even had feudalism. So all of these systems have been tried out. But what they, what they count on, really, is, is conning the public yeah. into believing they have some kind of rights, and that's I, how we're managed. I guess, I, guess, I guess having been raised in America and having always been told that this is a quote-unquote democracy, but it actually functions as a republic. But the, the word republic is, has, has until, until recently hasn't been promoted too heavily, but it's, it's really the mass appeal of, and I, I understand the, 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 the you know, built-in divisiveness of that, and it's very artful, um, but I was wondering if there was any esoteric uh, hidden meanings in well, the actual words themselves. There is, too. I mean, re is to do again when you have re. Right. And it's republic, you see. Uh, it's, a, it's another con on the public. I used to be amazed when I read the, the, the whole story, the founding fathers. Uh, they knew the history of every other country. They knew, the, they knew the ancient histories, too. In fact, they said they looked at all the old systems of government and thought that Rome had the better, the best of the lot, ancient <laughs> Rome. With all 70% slaves, eh? 70% slaves, and you also had yeah. the Senate, which was an aristocracy. They ended up taking the land off all the people at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. No and wonder they compared so, to the, so, no wonder they call it an empire. I know, yeah. And, and of course, they use the eagle to, 
And uh, uh, so I always thought it kind of odd. And the word senate is an Egyptian word. The senate is actually a chess floor. It's a chess game. Wow. Okay. It comes from the Egypt word, the black and the white squares. So you always get two opposing sides. And sure enough, as soon as the War of Independence was over, before you know it, they started up an opposition and copied the exact same system that was already basically in Britain, you know, with wow. the Whigs and the Tories. Hey, one more question. Uh, what do you know? Do you have? I wonder if you had any uh, knowledge or opinion or um, of of, uh, of Ralph Nader, the consumer advocate, that uh, part-time presidential candidate, every once in a while when he. Because I've, I've looked at some old films of him, well, not too old, a few years back, and and I tell you, you know, it's amazing the effort that the establishment, especially the Democratic Party, has gone to keep him out of uh, the big picture. And he's one of the few that I've heard advocate the, uh, abolishing the Electoral College. And I was wondering if you, if you have any dirt on him. Do you know is this guy? The only uh, thing I can really say about him, I mean, he's, he's always put out in the press as saying the right things often, you know. Sure. Uh, however... Uh, I did hear him during giving a election speech when he was running a few years ago, and he was literally pushing the whole UN agenda and yeah. the banning of all. He wanted to eradicate all automobiles, all private sure. automobiles, and all of this. this I thought, wow, this is the, this is just the same old stuff from the top, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of well, well-intended people get caught up in that that UN fantasy, and and uh, I mean, I, I personally, I mean, you know, I, I ride a bicycle, you know, and I and I. And I've decide, I decided before I went to Europe last year that I would sell both my vehicles. I'm very happy not to have a vehicle, although I do like to have the option to have one. Yeah. You know, but I understand that a lot of these uh, environmentalists uh, get a little extreme in their views. I was just, it isn't just extreme. It's all the yeah. same agenda with the habitat yeah. areas and, That's right. That's and no private property. You'll be stuck there running. You're literally ordered by the dictates of bureaucrats. You know. World Heritage Sites. That and that's no life at all. Right. Uh, while they know darn well that the big cities are to be the habitats uh, for, for the majority of the public to get thrown into when they have no transportation, yeah. and you'll be living like soil and green, massively overcrowded, while the elite and the bureaucrats will have all their beautiful places, very modern, uh, outside in the country uh, that you can't get to, and uh, they'll also be setting up their, their places, which they are already in, in, in the, the Middle East, and Dapur and other places. Dubai, so, I guess that's the, that's uh, that's the big uh, that, that, that's that's one of their little enclaves, I guess. Dubai. Uh, that's going to be the most modern city in the world. They're building one up right now. It's, it's, it's more money than any other. It's a brand new city they're creating, all high tech. Uh, again, no private automobiles, though they say there'll be some for a few very special people. They'll be classified as as necessary vehicles only, wow. uh, but not for the, the average Joe. I heard that there was a little uh, Middle Eastern country, I can't remember the name of it, it's only 30 years old, and they actually, in order to uh, attract tourists, they actually uh, bought or leased part of, if not all, of the Louvre in France. Oh, no, they put the, the Louvre in France is, is actually paying to put up a duplicate of itself in Dubai. Oh, no, okay. Well, yeah, there's there an exact duplicate there, and they're taking over... Uh, are, are touring with their, all of their wares and showing them over there into the new Louvre once it's built. Uh-huh. Well, I guess what's next, London Bridge. Oh, well, yeah, to be honest with <laughs> you... Maybe they can sell the Washington Monument. i like to get rid of that thing. Yes, well, eventually they'll probably sell... Well, London will sell the rest of the country off. Oh, gosh. Uh, people realize that London already has sold parts of Scotland off. 
Now, yeah. Has it been explained how they could oh, do that? This is what I wanted to ask you real quick. Edinburgh, in relation to Thomas Jefferson, I read years ago that Thomas Jefferson actually plagiarized the Declaration of Independence from the Declaration of Arbroath, which was written by the nobles of Scotland to tell Robert the Bruce that uh, no king is above the law. Am I correct on that? Is that... Uh, it's rumored to be so, and it truly is uh, very similar indeed to it. Yeah, okay. Uh, Edinburgh is a, a, the old mystic city. It's also on Seven Hills, and it's Edinburgh. <laughs> yeah, that's why Edinburgh, man. Because Jefferson, from what I read, uh, said that was the Athens of his day. Yes. So, uh, well, have you yeah, spent any time in there? Fight with more after these messages. Okay. Oh, I'm not. Oh, I can hear something there. Hello? It must be. I thought it was. I was the only guy with the uh, trains that go by me. Something. Oh no, that, that the train is uh, in my neighborhood. It's in your neighborhood. Oh good. Yeah, I'm in South Florida. Alan, oh good. It's great, it's great <laughs> to talk to you. I tell you, I mean, you've really, um, you've really done a, a lot for me. I tell you, I'm so glad I discovered you. I really oh, am. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, so, did you ever spend any time in Edinburgh or? Oh yeah, I've been in Edinburgh for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I right. played there. Yeah, I called you. I, I think I called you a few days ago or last week, and I mentioned that I was I spent some time in Helsinki, Finland, because my mother is actually from a little town, Lappeenranta. Oh yeah. And I was actually yeah, I was actually there immigrating, but you know what? I got so turned off to the European Union. The poor Finns are so furious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about having been sold into that European Union. They are yep. really. But they're very scared, too, you know. Well, the Finns really have stood up against everybody. They, they stood up against Nazi Germany. They stood up against the, the Soviet Union. Yeah, they're tough people. Uh, they're tough people that just would not give up, and it's sad to see them being tricked into it. It, uh, it they, uh, when, you, when, you, when you fall for Spanish gold, you can, buy, you can buy off the ones at the top, you know. Sure, absolutely. absolutely. It's amazing. Yeah, when I was over there, there's a, if you ever get a chance... Um, you can find good pictures of it. There's a uh, there's a Lutheran church that was built in the 1830s by a German architect named Engel, and it's fascinating because I was taken on a tour of that, and I was shown the Illuminati uh, symbols. I mean, literally over each doorway, there are four doorways, yeah. and they have the all-seeing eye in a in the relief in the granite relief yeah. over the door, and there are twelve apostles. With Illuminati like like builder squares and the key dangling over the entrance. Yeah. Yet yeah. that that actual church was uh, dedicated to the Tsar Nicholas II, and he, from what I read, had outlawed secret societies. So go figure, you know. Uh, you, you always find that because the old the, the old ones that even the Comacines that built uh, the big big cathedrals throughout Europe mm-hmm. were themselves a brotherhood, sure. and uh, and the initial ones were actually. Monks that lived uh, uh, near Mount Como or, or Lake Como in northern Italy, and they lived, lived on an island, in fact. But they trained themselves there. But those guys used to—they wore the red thread around the penis. That was the tie. That was their bound. They were bound by their oath. And they were the guy. They were incredible secret society. And they, they would put these symbols into the, all the big cathedrals. And if you look up, you'll see, you'll see the little green man carved somewhere up in stone, way above oh, sure. your head. Sure. The little uh, pictures of robins. Well, I tell you, sometime I'm going to write you uh, something. And I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but I, I, I wasn't there four days because I'm a, I'm a writer. And I was doing, trying to do some journalism over there, and uh, I got I got hooked up with Eeyore Bach. Have you ever heard of this guy? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. 
I mean, I was at, all of a sudden I was in there four days, and I was uh, in his flat and listening to this whole saga. And I tell you, he knows a lot about the Freemasons of uh, Valhalla, and I saw pictures of him with the Swedish king and queen, where they're looking at him as if he's really the stuff, you know? Yeah. And supposedly Lenin actually uh, visited his home, and I mean, this guy had had oil paintings from you know Swedish masters on the on the wall, and I mean it's very it, uh, mind blowing, really. Yes, oh yeah. Oh, even Trotsky used to take trips to see these masters, and he wrote a book about it mm-hmm. because he was a, a Mason who he claims that he was initiated while in prison at, at the time. Yeah, that's that's really funny because Trotsky claimed that while he was incarcerated in Siberia, he wrote uh, a history of Freemasonry, and I thought oh. to myself, what? Where did he get his Reference material, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty bizarre. Pretty bizarre. Oh, I know, I know. But uh, but masonry runs this this world. That's the, that's a religion around all and within all religions. It's worldwide. Yeah. All right, Lord Alan. Thank you very much. I really appreciate your time, and uh, I'm going to write you soon. So. Thanks for calling. I'll be back with more after these messages. Uh, and deities 
and, su- and such like. So, no, someone um, someone living in a flower pot wouldn't be in that up, unless they were maybe taking a, a lot of the pot along with it. <laughs> right, I, I agree. So, I, I mean, I I hadn't lost anything by not being involved with Harry Potter, but uh, I ordered your books, uh-huh. and uh, to let you know that I had I've, I've gone through extreme financial. Um, challenges for the past seven or eight years, mm-hmm. you know, going from living really comfortable to uh, just uh, living in the dirt practically, even yep. though I've had my family that has helped me out quite a bit. But I had an order uh, written out for you in September of uh, 2006, mm-hmm. and it was in an envelope ready to go, and it got so old that I threw that away, and then... Um, I thought I would send you a donation, and I actually wrote the check out, mm-hmm. and I was just waiting for the money to come in to be able to send it, and that got old. But I finally, last week, uh, ordered all your books. Okay. And I'm really excited to get them because I'm in the process of homeschooling my children. Oh, okay. Yep. And then we're going to use your books as, uh, I hopefully, you know, as one of the courses in our homeschooling that's yeah. a good idea. There are, there's other people doing that too, and the talks as well. They're using them. Yeah. I have uh, two children that I. Uh, next time I call, I'm going to put them on the line. I'm out of town right now, and not even uh, actually listening to you. I called my son to look up your phone number. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll look out for your order when it comes in. Okay. Well, thank you, Alan. Thanks and for calling. And I'll talk calling. to you soon. Okay. Have a uh, ha- uh, have a safe time. You too. Uh, from Hamish and myself up here in uh, snowy Ontario, Canada. It's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs> 